You are listening to the Necropolis Podcast, which is brought to you by Jason from Goatcraft and Shelly from HeatMeditations.com and Metal Legion Magazine. Welcome back to Necropolis. We're doing another tier list. 1992 Death Metal Rate. So I I went through Metal Archives in a filter and I got the, the 20 full links, or the 30 full links, I should say, of uh, what I view as most noteworthy from 1992. And as you can see on your screen here, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, there are a lot of fucking fantastic albums on, you know, from 1992. Really, really excited to talk about some of these albums. They're very influential um, in my listenership of extreme metal. And there's some that there are certainly timeless classics in here. Some that I, I may not be that fond of, but they are, you know, bigger names in the, the mainstream consciousness. So I figure we'll we'll talk about that quite a bit. Uh, today it will just be Shelly and I. Um and we're gonna attempt to blitz through all 30 albums today. So Shelly, I want to thank you and your uh, your rigor today. Um we're about to get into it pretty hard. It's what I do, it's fine. Um yeah, no, a lot of great albums on the list, but also it's- looks like there's some curveballs in here that will be interesting to see where we sit on them because there's some that I just think are a bit uh, oddball. But we'll get into that, I'm sure. But yeah, excited to discuss some death metal. Yes, sir. Me too. Me too. All right. Since we only have two hours and we have 30 albums to get through, uh, I'm going to go ahead and rank. So the the first three, I, I view they're, they are timeless classics. So first up is that incantation onward to Golgotha. Definitely an S tier for me. And I do want to thank Shelly for being the driver today on that Canva. He is zipping along there, moving the albums quickly, as we can see in front of our eyes here. Onward to Golgotha is the ultimate incantation album. I I have said in the past, um, I'm sure if I said it on this podcast, but I might have said it on other podcasts and interviews, that Onward to Golgotha is the the archetype, like the platonic form of death metal. If an album has elements that is presented on Onward to Golgotha, it is empirically death metal and is also in spirit. It has the noumenal side of death metal at its core. And the 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 way the riffs flow, they're super narrative and they're abstract. And it's just there's no bad song on this album. It's definitely a timeless classic for me. Uh I believe this is the the peak for incantation, honestly, where uh Diabolical Conquest and some other albums had some you know really great moments, but none that was just like the total experience as on war to Golgotha. Um, so definitely a time of classic for me. I've listened to it a billion times. And Incantation is one of those bands that I got into really, really young. I was about 15. And this album has definitely stood the test of time for me. Go ahead, Shelly. Yeah, I'll follow that. Um, yeah, it definitely gets across the sheer like monstrosity and malevolence of death metal um, alongside the more... Um, sophisticated aspects like that as you mentioned like it gets the narrative structure down the doomy passages work really well alongside the faster passages it's kind of you know death doom wasn't really uh it existed at this point obviously but it didn't it wasn't necessarily referred to as death doom it's just like death metal with doomy elements but because this album has been copied um so much not least by incantation themselves that you kind of 
you forget that this album was pretty um what's the word it was pretty groundbreaking at the time it it wasn't so far left field as far as death metal is concerned it didn't have any of the progressive elements or anything like that uh but it just as you said it kind of solidified all of the facets of death metal that we that we know and love um and the ironic thing about incantation themselves is you mentioned diabolical conquest which is the other album that people reach for as like when they almost attained a similar peak but it's it's that's the album where they weren't trying to remake on well to Golgotha. they were trying to do something a little bit different and almost avant-garde in places and it really worked for them but it always feels like for every other incantation album they're just trying to recapture this magic and they never can quite manage it um so yeah it's a testament to its kind of longevity and uh these days in terms of the contemporary picture of death metal the amount of bands i come across that are trying to copy this sound or borrow from it liberally or or straight up plagiarize it is is remarkable it's become retroactively one of the most influential death metal albums as well but it it can't be topped so yeah absolutely s tier yeah it's it's up there and i would actually put it alongside uh, like plus or sick and just like how firm of a statement it was for extreme metal um strong s tier um and one of those things that's often mimicked but never not even incantation themselves have you know reached that peak but uh really really a uh, phenomenal album can't say enough good things about it uh john mckinty uh he was a freaking genius on this album creating those riffs and uh i think craig pillard was on vocals and just the, yeah. the aesthetic of it was phenomenal um but yeah next up is that deicide lesion arguably another one of the best death metal albums of all time uh so deicide lesion was the follow-up to uh, just deicide deicide uh i've heard some people say that their, their favorite is the self-titled album, but this is just, I, I view it as a fluke of nature. It's the most assaulting death metal. It's just right in your face. It does not relent at all. It just, it's, it's pretty short too. I believe it's around like 28 minutes long. And uh, it's one of those albums that it's just, it just manifests in this ultimate violent form of death metal and it's just hard, like Deicide, like they, they had some, you know, ounces of the aggression on Once Upon the Cross after this, but nothing close to the sheer terror that is Deicide Legion. And it's another, this, I, I, I compare uh, Samath, uh, Godless Arrogance, it's like the, the black metal version of Deicide Legion. It's for good reason, too, because it's just unrelenting and it's relentless and it's just, just comes and it just goes as fast as it comes it's already gone and it's just like whoa that was fucking amazing uh and there are like narrative you know structures in this album as well but it's more compact it's more about the violence of death metal um and a lot of bands have tried to capture dsi lesion but none of them have come close to it at all so what are your thoughts on that shelly yeah so the self-titled debut is is kind of a strange album in that it tries to ma like reach that level of just blind occultist fury um but it almost in places for such a sort of extreme and assaulting album it comes across as almost catchy and anthemic in places um and it's clear that deicide is still trying to find their voice a little bit and they're one of these bands where the step up from that to this is kind of as you mentioned a fluke of nature it's kind of beyond belief that it was the same band almost and 
yeah, it's another one where, yeah, Deus Side have never really done anything like this since. And I don't think any death metal band has done anything like this since. Um, I don't want to be Mr. Hot Take. I've got a weird opinion on this album, but I do compare it to Atheist Unquestionable Presence quite a lot. Um, obviously not, you know, stylistically or sonically or anything. They were both doing very different things. But it's rare to see a band so, like, lockstep with each other so like tight and um kind of what's the word working in unison to such a degree just the the barrage of noise that comes at you it isn't just you know like a grind album that just flows past in a stream of static and blast beats like there's intentionality here there's like um mechanical complexity to the rhythm like what you think is just like a basic backbeat will quickly shuffle around and then the beat kind of goes a little bit off center but the guitars and the bass are, are just locked in the pocket with it every time and then you've got glenn benton's just iconic vocal performance on this album where obviously he raps yeah he raps at one point he does rap yeah <laughs> um but yeah because because obviously the album legion it's based on the um the biblical tale of the um the guy that was possessed by many demons um, my name is Legion for We Are Many, but it, Glenn, Glenn Benton's vocal performance tries to get that across as well by having, you know, the guttural range, the mid, and then these really maniacal high-pitched screeches and sort of all overdubbed with each other. Uh, but the way he kind of works that around the complexity of the rhythms, and yeah, sometimes it, it comes across as rap because he matches like the chugging blast beat with, with each syllable. And again, I mean, Benton's a, you know, he's a... He's an eccentric guy anyway. And the other thing I love about this this album is not just the fact that he goes hell for level with that performance, but this was at a time when, you know, black metal was starting to make inroads into death metal as like the extreme quote unquote genre. And some death metal bands were being accused of wearing, you know, cargo shorts and tracksuits and not really taking it seriously. And you know, Chuck of Death was already being like, oh no, it's all make-believe and I prefer to talk about societal issues. Glenn Benson's just like, no, I'm a Satanist. I'm branding a inverted crucifix on my forehead. It's all totally for real. Like him yeah. and, you know, Morbid Angel, they you, they you could tell there was a bit more commitment and conviction, which kind of just gives it that edge over some other death metal from the time. Yeah, um, that was back when he was doing the Bob Larson interviews with the evangelical yeah. guy he does exorcisms now <laughs> it was a big exorcism guy but yeah he's he's making that money um but yeah phenomenal album uh concur with everything that you said other than perhaps the atheist correlation <laughs> I, <laughs> no, but, that's uh, just my weird take but uh yeah phenomenal album can't say enough great things about it it's one of those things that I, I don't listen to it often but when i do listen to it it just smacks me in the face it's it's just sheer like sonic uh, assault um right on my senses and wonderful wonderful album so next up is uh therion uh, beyond sanctorum uh so my first i had heard this when i was a kid but i didn't really connect with it as much until after i finished uh basic training when i was in the military i was in tech school and i didn't have any music so um, I'm my friend, uh, or former friend, I don't know, we haven't talked in years, uh, Josh Wheeler from the, the band uh, Blood Obsession. He was also uh, the upstate New York uh, president of the New York Death Militia that Will Romer from Mortician runs. Anyway, he had sent me uh, a lot of CDRs when I was in tech school, 
so I could, you know, have some metal to listen to. And eventually I got a laptop and I just streamed everything. But there were some nights where I would just, you know, get through, you know, tech school stuff, you know, in the morning would work out vigorously and attend classes. And I learned all about missiles and bombs and all that. And it was very, very fast paced. Like technical training in the Air Force is a lot. I took accelerated courses in college and Air Force tech school was even faster than that with how much we had to learn. And we couldn't get below a B in our training, too. So it was one of those things where I was exhausted and my only reprieve from my waking life was, you know, those CDRs. And this album, I connected with it on so many different levels. I love the the riff structure. There's a lot of off-kilter, you know, we, we say the word narrative a lot, but narrative is just a sense of uh, continuity and, you know, progression within the, the songs and there I believe you know they went into their operesque uh type of uh sound stuff after this album but this is when they were still firmly entrenched in death metal but they did have quite an abstract take on it and there's some songs where you can just listen to it and just uh completely forget about everyday life and in my case it was really connected with it when I was in military training um and I, I feel like it was a, a phenomenal expression of more of like a proggy type of abstract take on death metal, but still firmly entrenched in traditional death metal, if that makes sense. Um, really great uh, song craft structures in this album. What are your thoughts, Shelley? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of these albums where it's basically everything I love about Swedish or even Scandinavian death metal like forget about entombed forget about gray forget about the, the buzzsaw guitar tone everything there are a lot of bands around that time that were doing something a little bit weirder where they were taking the the dark romanticism of of goth um uh borrowing a little bit from the aesthetics of maybe romantic era classical music as well um and as you mentioned a bit of like progressive influence uh, but they were melding it in very strange ways with, you know, the, the fledgling death metal sounds. And Therion was kind of at the forefront of that. Like, listening to this, it, I do have mixed feelings, although I absolutely adore this album, because you can sort of hear the germinal of where they would eventually end up with the operatic style. Um, and people always say, well, that's when they got, like, you know, classical and symphonic or whatever. But the thing is, by that point, they were writing pop songs with an operatic flair. This is where they were actually trying to push the envelope with very odd song structures and unique kind of um approaches to composition and there was a flavor of of that in there but it was kind of kept at bay by a very strict adherence to the um like philosophy of of death metal still it's still like entrenched within that extremity that darkness that monstrosity um and the ability to craft like just a really compelling like um build a narrative with their riffs even the like the opening track the way it unfurls on itself i'd almost liken it to um like fog's kiss by sacramento or something in the way that it just keeps going each moment like builds on the last and sort of unfolds in this really hypnotic way but then you've got tracks like the way where they really do take you on a bit of a, an odyssey yeah. and yeah it, you could sense maybe their ambition was running away with them a bit there but you just you, you kind of have to still admire it because it's just so I know I use this word a lot about some of these albums, but it's quite audacious what they were doing. Um, and to have that alongside tracks that are almost, you know, grindcore in their sense of like primitivism, 
it's a very varied very unique album um but you can kind of see in the sort of narrative of theory and that they they kind of thought they were transitioning to something new whereas actually they'd hit upon the finished product in my eyes and this is this is it in terms of like the apex of scandinavian death metal in general i think yeah um i for the uh when i, when I think about like swedish death metal i always think of dismember as being the best but you know when you think about the hm2 uh, boss pedal um the buzz guitar shelly you have a different screen up but uh um but yeah this album is definitely a testament to how you know great scandinavian uh death metal was back then and i forgot to mention also uh i know a guy who has a phd in uh, classical piano performance and his, one of his favorite bands is therion but when when we had some drinks one time he was talking about how he likes the later theory on and it doesn't like the early stuff. I'm like we, we come from two different sides of the piano, bro. <laughs> like, well, conversely. Um, so when, when you and I were hanging out in London and you met a couple of friends of mine, uh, one of them just had never bothered with early theory because he just assumed it was all of the operatic stuff. And then I had to send him uh, beyond Sanctorum. And he was like, Holy shit. Like I never realized theory sounded like this before. I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is what they they used to be, but uh, it's kind of buried under their their later career now. Yeah, um, yeah, just you know, obviously they got really big with the operatic stuff, but this was like the foundation, and I feel it was more authentic than uh, what they went with the neoclassical operatic stuff later. And I remember hearing their later stuffs on the uh, the Death is Just the Beginning compilations back when I was a little kid. It, I would buy, you know, anything death metal that I had from a list from Alan Moses. He wrote like the best, you know, extreme metal albums. And also found these compilations that were in record stores. And Therion was definitely a part of that. And I never really liked the operatic stuff, but uh um I can see the novelty of it and why people like it. But the you know, the the soul of the project is certainly in uh this era of uh and I think Beyond Sanctorum is the best uh album by far from Therion. So next up, we do have uh, Atron, Rights of the Black Mass. We had, we did have Vincent Crawley on the podcast at one point in time, so I was able to pick his brain. Actually, the next day, we talked with uh, uh, Michael Ford from Black Funeral, you know, in the greater church of Lucifer. So I had a very satanic weekend because I know Vincent Crawley was also part of the, the Church of Satan. He was a priest there. And that really comes into Atron. Uh, so he, there's, you know, a lot of ominous, you know, satanic verses that he recites in Atron. Um, it would be a B for me. Um, but, uh, I feel that Atron is very good for what it does. I just don't, I, I don't believe there's a lot of, uh, elements that can push it to like an A or S tier. Um, I would put it. I guess a B and Shelly's going to put it as a C. Uh-huh. And I do think it's kind of overwrought with all of the intros between the songs. And, you know, you listen to the riffs, it's kind of doomy, like a Samuel blood ritual a little bit. Um, and I, I think Samuel did this out a little bit better, but uh, um, I, I still like the album. It's not a bad album at all. Um, but Shelly, go ahead. I think you ranked it as a C. Yeah. Um it's like a death metal version of Impaled Nazarene's like Tolkom Nos Nos Nos, uh, whatever that album's called. Um, 
not just with all of the the intros and interludes but also like the the kind of black and thrash grinding thing but this this album has more obvious death metal elements to it you know you'll get um a jarring tempo change every now and then you'll get a more obviously death metal riff but i think it very much sits towards the black metal end in terms of like crossover and again i know this was sort of released before the distinction was quite as as solid as it is today but yeah there's sort of the the impression i get from this album is like its bark is worse than its bite in that the aesthetics are there the malevolence and evil and like dark occultist atmosphere is there as are the theatrics but when you get when you dig down to the riffs themselves uh i i found it a, a little bit disengaging um to some extent you know it's the same impression i get from pale nazarene aside from ugra karma in that they're they get by on sheer energy and like outrageousness alone whereas the actual riffs and the interconnection and the development of theme is still very kind of well underdeveloped compared to some of the bands on here so yeah it would definitely be a c for me hmm. so also i want to mention that i was roommates with the guy from matron uh bill koblack also goes by the name of belial who's also been on podcasts before and one of my former drummers uh, mike browning was also in Atron, but in a, I did interview uh, Vincent Crowley one time. So I, I do view that it's like that one degree of separation is there, um, which I, I, I might have a nostalgic uh, take on that band. Um, and I know uh, you not being involved with any the individuals of Atron, you're just looking at it empirically. So that's okay. Um, so next up is Flush Crawl. Um one of my favorite death metal songs is on this album, uh, Lost in the Grave, I believe it's called. That ending riff, holy shit, I love that. So Close Crawl is definitely the uh, a band I like most uh, from Germany for death metal at this point in time. Uh, really, really solid album, and it does have like one of the best death metal songs, uh, Lost in the Grave. Uh, I think every aspect of that song, and I know a friend of mine, uh, Carl, he also has the same opinion on this album. Uh, but yeah, a strong A for me. And I view that this is one of the exemplary uh, death metal albums from Germany at this point in time. Go ahead, Shelley. So I'm just going to move it where I believe it should be. So I'm I'm placing it as a B. I don't think it's a bad album. Uh, it's a fine album. Um, I almost think it's like the, the follow-up to... Um, soul side journey that we we never got from dark throne in a way because a lot of the riffs it is more explicitly like doomy in a lot of places but a lot of the riffs toy with a very similar thing that dark throne did on that album in that they're um crafting quite unique but very traditional melodic content with this very eerie uncanny kind of structure to it but they're you know they're sustaining notes for a little bit past their comfort zone making you feel a little bit unsettled without you know, the polar opposite to Deicide's Legion, they're not bludgeoning you over the head with brutality or a, like um, an excess of information. They're actually trying to make you feel a little bit more uh, empty and um, uh, what's the word? Like there's a little bit of a, a void at the heart of it that kind of does unsettle a little bit more that sense of nothingness. And I found that really interesting. But I think the album is a little bit unfocused 
it's a little bit bloated. It is nearly an hour long, I think. And it could have done with like trimming some of the fat away. Uh, but I do agree as far as like German death metal goes. And, you know, there isn't there isn't much of note as far as German uh, bands go as compared to other scenes. I know we've got another band coming up on here from Germany, but uh, it's definitely sort of one of the better ones I've heard from that country. But yeah, I couldn't rate it higher than a B personally. I think you need to play Lost in a Grave on repeat like five times. It's such <laughs> a great song. Um, but I, I respect your opinion, Mr. Shelley. And I also view that Flesh Crawl is kind of one of those interesting bands that, you know, I think this is more of their authentic period where they did uh, adopt the Swedish, you know, HM2 boss pedal um, later. And they, they sounded just sound like generic Swedish death metal later on. But uh, um, next up, we have the. Uh, the Vader, the ultimate incantation, one of the first uh, metal albums, period, that I, I had bought and it was recommended by Alan Moses. I got it when I was 12 years old. Can you believe that, Shelly? 12 years old, I had this album. <laughs> and uh, so this was one of my, obviously, one of my entry uh, bands into extreme metal. Um, I would rate it as a, an A. Um, there are some filler tracks on here, and there's definitely a thrash influence that's prevalent throughout. Um, so I wouldn't consider it like, you know, Onward to Golgotha as being 100%, you know, death metal, like the platonic form of death metal. I would view like Vader as being like 50% death metal, 50% thrash. There's some great tracks on this album. Uh, I think it ends on a very high note. Um, and I understand back when they started this band, like uh, I think Poland was under communist rule and uh, he uh, Peter, in which I, I met Peter, uh, at one point, and uh, there was another guy in Vader at the time that we went to my car, and we, I just blasted Schubert, and we drank vodka. And that, what happened? Oh, my God, this was a horrible experience. Uh, so, obviously, I I was too drunk to drive home, and I realized that. And uh, I so I hung out with Vader, and before that, I was at a radio station drinking uh, with a, a – Zeus from Plutonia Shore because he was being interviewed and I, I knew the DJ. And uh um but anyway, I uh I went to the show and Vader hung out with them and Vital Remains actually was on the bill too. And there uh Gator was in my car drinking vodka too. We had cranberry juice and vodka. And uh I I I realized I was too drunk to drive home, but I had already driven like a mile. <laughs> And I just pulled into the, the closest parking lot and just like, I have to sleep this off. I'm too fucking gone to drive. And next thing I know, there was a fucking cop tapping on my car. <laughs> and so I get out and I, I had slept off most of my, uh, you know, alcohol, you know, inebriatedness. And uh, he let me go because I didn't have my keys in the ignition. But that was a wake up call for me. It's like, take taxis, take Ubers, Jason. If you're going to get trashed, don't get fucking arrested. So, uh, um, but anyway, that was a little tangent on uh, experience with, you know, first degree stuff, as we had prior mentioned with uh, Atra on there. Um, also, Bill Koblack, the roommate that I had, he was also an incantation for a while, but I think everyone's been an incantation, honestly. <laughs> They've had so many people in the band. But uh, yeah, it's a, a strong day for me, a very influential album. Uh, I don't think they've ever topped this album. We we can talk about Sothis and you know other uh, releases that they had. Um, I did, you know, being young, I did explore Vader all the way to, uh, what was that album, My Revelations or whatever, uh, um, where they, they did take a more poppy format of death metal. Uh, 
But yeah, I feel this strong death metal album, definitely not S tier. There it's definitely lacking in some ways. And I think that is the thrash influence just because of the time that they came up. Um, but yeah, strong A. Go ahead, Shelly. Yeah, I hesitated with that. I was gonna place it as a B for me, but uh I think I think I'd rate it as an A because I was I was kind of thinking about uh other Vader albums and like Black to Blind and things I do really rate quite highly, but they kind of so you're correct in that they they formed in like the early 80s and yeah Poland was still um behind the iron curtain at that point and they were one of the first like death metal bands or extreme metal bands full stop i think to emerge from uh the eastern bloc um and obviously when um the soviet union collapsed uh, they were able to distribute their music more widely and uh the ultimate incantation was like it wasn't like a new band although it was their debut it was like they'd, they'd been honing their craft for quite a while so this was like quite a mature expression um for them compared to some of the other bands on this list that kind of came out the gate with something a bit wild and left field or whatever so th this is more of a refined um group of musicians and i do rate it i think it combines some really kind of clever combinations of various elements of like european death metal with the floridian style um a little bit of percussive elements going on but also very very strong slayer influence um as you can imagine they you know they started out more on the thrash side and that that kind of holds over but it doesn't it doesn't dumb down the music in any way it's still very much sophisticated death metal and i know our friend and colleague tyler i think he rates the sound very highly so he, i'm not sure if he put it in s but uh he definitely wouldn't be putting it in the b um so yeah i think i think i i can rate it on an intellectual level and appreciate <laughs> what they're doing on that level but it's never just be honest never... if you think it's a b it should be a b and we can put it between an a and a b i mean i shot on some of your albums uh for no, no. 2023 last week so if you view it as a b we can put it between an a and a b no i think intellectually i know it's an a but in my heart i think it's a b because um i think i listen to it quite late on in my... i do think there there are some filler tracks in it that just don't really add anything to the album so yeah it's not it's definitely not up there with your atheists and your dear sides and your orbit angels but uh there is it is still like a worthy kind of addition to the like golden era of death metal um and i kind of appreciate that more on an intellectual level than i do on a on an emotional level so no i will happily stick with a all right and that's not me trying not to offend anyone don't worry <laughs> all right so do you agree that obituary the incomplete should be a d a d yeah uh yeah uh, yeah <laughs> so i i know shelly you're not a fan of cause of death but that was another one of my first death metal albums i think i got that well, one. Uh, cause of death is the only obituary album that i actually rate but i think i only rate it because of four or five guitar solos because <laughs> of james murphy yeah um, basically all right so the incomplete this was after obituary blew their quote-unquote load they're still aping a death metal celtic frost type of riffing very simplistic and groove oriented and this was just when it became like a an algebra formula for them and there's nothing really uh to add to their ovoir at all at this point in time uh musically and artistically speaking uh like i said cause of death was the last like really good uh obituary album which shelly is not a fan of that so i'm at odds with him on that but 
I, I view like yeah, it was just too much of a formula. There's nothing really added to this. This is music for uh, people who don't like metal and they just like the groove oriented aspect of uh, music, I should say. Uh, and just like the heavy textures correlate with that, with just really bouncy types of riffs. And uh, I would say like this is like the the I. I used the term knuckleheaded, but I use it with the term of endearment with some bands like gutted, but this is knuckleheaded, but not with the any endearment. So go ahead, Shelly. Yeah, uh are like a step up from Cannibal Corpse for me. Um they were the first to one of the first, I should say, to popularize death metal, but that you know, that doesn't mean that they're the best or they're adding anything. If anything, the fact that they popularized death metal kind of is indicative of the um accessibility of of obituary and that they kind of yeah you're right they kind of dumbed it down to pop music with attitude um the reason i like cause of death i do rate that album it's probably the only obituary album that i do rate is the tracks are a little bit longer they do kind of lean on the celtic frost thing a little bit too heavily and obviously i know there's a celtic frost cover on that album um, but it, uh, yeah, it's elevated by some really, really good, really expressive guitar solos. Uh, but beyond that as well, they do try to kind of stretch themselves as as musicians a little bit, especially if you compare it to Slowly We Rot. But this album, you kind of get the sense that they are just hitting a formula. They know that they've got a captive audience by this point, and they are yeah dumbing down every aspect of death metal to basically thrash on Valium is how I'd liken it. There's, they're not adding anything in terms of like a melodic vocabulary. They're not adding anything interesting rhythmically. Um, I guess you could make a case for John Tardy's vocals being quite unique in the fact that he doesn't really sing lyrics. He kind of just speaks in tongues to kind of match the music. That isn't enough to, to salvage what obituary are. I think they're probably Aside from Cannibal Courts, one of the most overrated uh, bands to come out of the um, American uh, scene anyway. Uh, so, yeah, strong D for me. And I think that's even being a little bit generous. I wouldn't put it as an F. Um, I, I, I understand that because if like we have Cannibal Courts coming up, which I think would be enough. But I think it's a little bit better than that. I think the Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, so next up is Malevolent Creation Retribution. Uh, so I view this as the best Malevolent Creation album. I would put it as between an A and a B. Um, and I always like, I don't know what it is when it comes to Malevolent Creation and Monstrosity, but I kind of lumped them together for some reason in my mind. I know they're both from Florida and their bands start with a, an M in their band name. Um, but I, I feel like this is like the Malevolent Creation album to listen to. The songs, there's a lot of logic behind the riffs. It actually expresses something. Um, but I don't really visit it that often. I don't re really revisit Malevolent Creation at all, honestly. Uh, but when I, when I was really into like all death metal, um, I did like this album the most. Um, so yeah, between the A and B for me. Go ahead, Shelly. Hmm. See, I would have been with you prior to this, but... Um... When we did the death metal 1991, uh, I really listened to Ten Commandments for that, and I actually think that almost 
competes with this arm as far as like quality is concerned. I think they may be on about a level. Um, the thing I the thing I love about Malevolent Creation is the fact that they get the blind fury of say a, a deicide um, down, but they do pack in the the complexity and technicality of uh, suffocation or maybe not a gorguts, but you know coming close in these kind of really um, mechanical percussive punches. This really kind of um, tight locked in uh, riff geometry where the, the drums are getting up in the grill with the guitars and kind of framing the riffs rather than just providing basic backbeats and so on. But they do it in a very fluid, very smooth way. The way the each passage just keeps coming at you in a in a relentless drive. Not quite as good as like Legion for, for that, but um very similar kind of um breeze blocks of intensity just just coming at you. Um the reason I put it in the A is because I think I would I would probably rate it an A. Um, I do kind of get where you're coming from with the monstrosity, though, in that I think they are very similar in their approach in the sort of way they try to make very, very dense, but very, very flowing cursive death metal, but that's still linked with a sense of um, melody and lyricism in a way that, say, Suffocation wasn't, where they were just all about the mechanical chugging and rhythmic like brutality. Um in terms of the ranking, I'm not sure where that puts it because there's only two of us. You've rated it between an A and a B, and I've rated it an A. It's an A. It's an A, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I was kind of just because I don't listen to it often, and I'm not really compelled to listen to it again. Um, that's why I put it between an A and a B. But when I have listened to it in the past, I've really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I guess you know what I want to return to often is going to be the S tier. That's the timeless classic. So A is fine. Fair enough. All right, so next up is Miasma Changes. This is one of those albums that I heard later in life. Um, I'm wondering why I had never heard it before, because this album is fucking ballsy. Um, it's right in your face, you know, great riffs. Uh, but it's one of those things like, yes, it is a firm statement of death metal. <laughs> You're going to put it between a B and a C. Yep. Um, yeah, it does kind of peter out. I'm good between a B and a C. Um, yeah, there, there are some strong riffs here and there, but like we have the atrocity coming forward. I also uh, found that later in life, and I view that much higher than the Miasma. Uh, go ahead, Shelly. Yeah, this, this Miasma album is kind of what the Archeron album should have been or could have been, I think. Like, again, it's it's definitely within the Death Metal camp, but it it's similar in terms of like the occultist malevolence uh strong primitive thrash influence going on and quite a bit of like the black and grind core a la impaled nazarene again although there are very clear differences between the two um and the archer on after listening to the archer on and then listening to miasma just the miasma just kicks the crap out of it in terms of just this animalistic fury but i have the same problem with this as i do with the archeron as well in that it's just too primitive i'd rather listen to sort of full-on black metal that has that sense of atmosphere and theatrics that kind of compensates for the primitivism um and it uh, kind of does something a little bit more profound um in terms of being explicitly minimalist whereas this is still trying to be quote-unquote like traditional metal as like a you know a direct descendant of 
late thrash and early death metal. And for that, it's just not doing enough, especially by 1992, where death metal had kind of reached a state of maturity where it was probably almost just passing its peak. It's some of its best, like finest work was going to be made in 1992, but it was also starting to show signs of, of faltering a little bit. We've already discussed obituary kind of passing their peak a little bit. Uh, Deicide Incantation had made their like defining statements and would soon kind of decline as well. And some of the other albums on here are a little bit like from left field. So death metal was at that kind of heat death moment. And Miasma is kind of symptomatic of that in a way in that they're trying to expand on a style that was probably going a bit stale by this point. It's sort of like a holdover from 1985 or something with Possessed Seven Churches where it's like the last in the line of that. And for that, it feels like an artifact of a, of a bygone age. So yeah, I can't really rank it much higher than, than that when we're comparing it to some of these albums. Yeah, I mean, the first time I heard it, I'm like, whoa, this, I had never heard this before. These riffs are good and all that, but I, yeah, I don't revisit it. I do think it kind of peters out. And when music peters out, it, it's not narrative. Um, and I don't like using that term narrative. It's like, I know these guys aren't writing books. <laughs> They're writing death metal. Um, but this is a descriptor that we use for you know, songs that go somewhere. <laughs> um, but next up is Sinister Cross the Sticks. Strong A from Jason. Very, very strong, eh? Um, I think I discovered this album when I was 16 or 17. Uh, really loved it a lot. I think I actually like Hate a little bit more um, than Cross the Sticks, which I know is blasphemy for some people, especially the quote-unquote elitists out there. But I view that Hate was like the the more death metal-y, um, in-your-face form. Is, I think there's still like some thrash influence of how the riffs are constructed in Cross the Sticks. Um, but very, very fucking strong album. And they, they, I think they did record, re-record some of the albums or the songs from this album on a later release. And it still sounded like really fucking strong. <laughs> strong A from Jason, uh, Sinister Across the Sticks. And I, are they Dutch? I forget where they're from. Um, yeah, that's that Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the best Dutch bands. So yeah. Uh, and what happened to this band after Hate? I have no idea. They completely dropped the ball. Um, aggressive measures that has you know some good uh, riffs here and there, but yeah, not not anything like cross the stick. So A from Jason. Yeah, I'll stop trying to rank them while you're talking because it kind of um, it <laughs> it anticipates what you're going to say. So for me, it would be a B. Uh, would you rate but- hate higher? Well, yeah, I was about to say, I'm actually with you in that I do prefer Hate as far as like, again, a similar kind of uh, impression I get as the Deicide's Legion in that uh, everything is so unified and locked in, but they managed to get this, you know, barbaric fury across. Um, but the the way the um, the drums kind of inform the riffs is really compelling. But the reason I like Sinister's approach to that which is different to Deicide's, is uh, Sinister a more explicitly like an evolution of Thrash. You can hear the Slayer riffs in there, and you can almost see it as like Sinister's form of death metal is Thrash in its final form, in its mature state. Because I kind of view Thrash as like, it, it never really got out of its adolescent phase. It never hit the state of maturity, and the reason is because Thrash in its mature state is is death metal. But 
some death metal is more explicitly thrash influenced than others. And I think Sinister is one of those holdovers where, you know, if someone took the Slayer kind of approach to thrash and evolved it further, um, the reason we don't have um, thrash in its mature state is because we call it death metal and we call it albums like Cross of Sticks. And um, for that reason, I do, I really respect it and I do return to it quite a lot because it really does scratch that itch. Um, but yeah, I rate uh, hate a little bit higher for kind of ticking those boxes. And again, uh, some of these albums are just much, much closer to my heart. But bear in mind, B is still a really strong, strong rating on on this scale. So I'm not trying to do it down or anything. But yeah, yeah. All right. So next up, we have Cannibal Corpse, Tomb of the Mutilated. I think we both agree that this is an F, and this is they they have like their most iconic song on there, "I Come Blood." Um, but yeah, the, the riff structures, I tried to listen to this the other day and, uh, yeah, uh, it's everything that it's like death metal texture, but not death metal songs, if that makes sense. Um, it comes from a more, I, I refer to them as like a Disney band and I stand by that statement that it's not really, uh, it doesn't really communicate anything musically other than just being there. And I do view the obituary as being a little bit better than that. You know, this is, you know, Cannibal Corpse had their formula down at this point in time too, but it's more like a poppy. Uh doesn't really communicate anything other than just shock value with the lyrics. Uh, it's a strong F from Jason. Yeah, well, this is going straight into F territory. Um, Believe it or not, I actually prefer uh, Butcher to Birth um, because I feel like Cannibal Corpse, although they're very proficient musicians, um, and you could kind of you can hear that on this song, but you could hear it earlier as well. Their their like understanding or grasp of death metal is still incredibly primitive, and I think the reason I prefer Butch to Birth is because they lean into that a little bit more, and it's more explicitly. This is just a mess of sloppy riffs, like. Uh, thrash offcuts and guttural vocals and obviously the outrageous lyrics here they are actually trying to be a bit more mature uh, they're living in a post-suffocation world by this point they've tried to sharpen up production they've tried to sharpen up the the riffs but uh, their grasp of death metal is still uh, not advanced any further than it was the previous year so what you get is <clears throat> sort of death metal by meme almost where as you said like you get all the signifiers of death metal you get something that feels like it should be uh appealing to those different nodes that make death metal kind of uh work that motivate it but because nothing connects up nothing really works it it just it feels like uh death metal by focus group in a way or just you know a, a really kind of uh clumsy way to concoct all of the really most superficial elements of death metal into uh miasma uh so i think that word's on my mind because we were just discussing miasma but i kind of i prefer it if cannibal corpse leaned into that and just said yeah we're just a sloppy mess of different death metal signifiers whereas here they're trying to do something more mature and failing at it which just yeah which is just far worse than not trying at all yeah um People consider them uh, Floridian death metal, but they came from New York, so they're actually detached from like the the Morbid Angels, the Deicides, and all that from uh, Tampa. 
Um, and they came down later and, you know, just to be a part of a thriving death metal scene. I, and I, they really, uh, I can see how they're like an entry level band for a lot of people. But honestly, if you're like 30 to 40 years old, still listening to Cannibal Corpse, you should probably like have a moment of self-reflection. <laughs> yeah, I was reading some of the Metal Archives reviews on this. People saying it's their favorite album of all time. I don't, again, I don't know how old these people are uh, reviewing it, but I was also like, is it really? Like, have you heard some of the albums up here? Like, how can this be your favorite album of all time when, you know, albums like this exist? Uh, unless you just, you either like it for nostalgia reasons or you don't understand death metal. Like, I know that sounds insanely elitist, but if you, I could understand you listening to Cannibal Corpse for fun or because they were really formative to you. But if you take them seriously or, or think that they're somehow up there with some of these albums, then honestly, yeah, you don't understand how death metal works. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, they're an entry-level band, I believe. And, you know, if you want to go further into death metal and you'll discover the more, quote-unquote, real stuff, um, which I know is a horrible term to say, but I just view, like, the... The spirit of Cannibal Corpse is nothing more than shock value, and the riffs are structured around that. And even later in their career, they they had some riffs that aren't even like death metal. Um, they're more like hard rock influence. But uh, yeah. So next up is the Monstrosity, Imperial Doom, which also has the Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse. Uh, so he wasn't on Tomb of the Mutilated, but he is on this Monstrosity. Um. Very fucking solid album. I would make it a, a strong A. Um, I, I I think that uh, you know obviously Monstrosity got overshadowed by Cannibal Corpse and the mainstream consciousness, but I view the riffs are actually really coherent and they flow together really well on Imperial Doom. I think it's a great album. Strong A from Jason. Hmm. I'm probably going to place it as a B, but <laughs> again, not not trying to play it down or anything really strong album um i think i prefer millennium where they sort of leaned into the tech def you're right def yeah my, millennium's a little bit better yeah i'll, I'll concur for b okay well you, you don't have to on well what i was going to say was basically uh i think it's very does a very similar thing to the malevolent creation in that it is quite dense and technical but i wouldn't call it capital t technical death metal in the way that gorguts or suffocation are um you can kind of hear the germinal of that on on imperial doom for sure but i think just malevolent creation were doing something uh of a very similar style but just a little bit superior in my eyes not to say that this monstrosity album isn't isn't great i i throw it on every now and then and it really does um I was going to say fit the bill, but I think I've been made fun of in the comments for that before. But it does fit the bill as far as like a certain brand of dense tamper kind of um, style death metal goes. And uh, but I think just the malevolent creation does it just that little bit better, which is why I'm placing it as a B, but very strong B again. So, yeah, I, I, let's put it into a B. I, I, you're right. Millennium is a stronger album. So uh, and it's one of those bands I'd never really feel compelled to listen to just in my own leisure. It, move it further left. There's a spot open, but uh, oh, sorry. um, sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, watching the Shelly navigate the. Uh, <laughs> it's my first time. By the way, if you're listening on Spotify, please watch the video on YouTube. 
like, subscribe, hit the bell, and uh, so you can see what we're creating with the tier list. Um, uh, next up is Nocturnus Thresholds. Obviously, I, I have a, a another one degree separation from Nocturnus. Uh, a former roommate of mine plays in Nocturnus AD, and uh, Mike Browning is my former drummer from After Death. Before I joined the military, I played Browning. Uh, I think there's a really fucking phenomenal song on this album. I do think the key is better. I like. I would rate the key as an A. Uh, thresholds, I would put between a B and a C. But there's a really great song on here that everyone should hear called a Subterranean Infiltrator. I really fucking like the aesthetic of that song. And uh, yeah, uh, Thresholds, I, I view that's when they, they kind of started having the wrong reason for being in extreme metal where they wanted to get popular. Uh, they, they delegated Mike to just drums when he's also a phenomenal vocalist because obviously they wanted to have a stronger stage presence with the front man. And I think that was a misstep. And obviously, when they kicked out Browning, I think it was the ultimate misstep. But uh, uh, Browning's, you know, creative juices are definitely still here in the Nocturnus. Uh, the key is just, you know, Mike Browning unbridled, and uh, which is, you know, continuing a lot of his lyrical concepts in Nocturnus AD now. Um, but this album, I don't view it as highly as uh, the key. Um, I would put it between a B and a C, but again, if you're ever curious about this album, listen to the song "Subterranean Infiltrator." Go ahead, Shelley. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and agree with you. This is one of Death Metal's great oddities. Um, it's kind of hard to separate the music from the story behind it. In the yeah, as you mentioned, Browning was starting to be sidelined. Um, in this project, he was uh you know, vocal duties were taken away from him and stuff. But also, like, he founded this project, so it's kind of like, it's one of these shitty stories where um, it's obvious that he wasn't, um, he's not the most technically proficient drummer. He's a fantastic vocalist, but he's one of these musicians where his creative juices kind of outstrip the raw ability, but he still kind of overcomes that. And the key is really sloppy as far as, you know, quote-unquote progressive death metal goes but the sheer creativity and uh will to kind of make it happen kind of shines through whereas here you can tell the other members of the band were trying to make a more mature sober statement maybe trying to you know assert their um position as far as progressive death metal goes alongside you know the pestilence atheist death and so on um and it it just comes off as a little bit faltering and a little bit stuttering uh Browning isn't allowed to um, express himself as much behind the kit and sort of come with, up with these sort of wildly fast, but also really, really sloppy kind of glass beats. Um, the guitars are a little bit too, um, what's the word, showy in that they don't really focus on crafting very compelling riffs or melodic structures. They just do average chugging thrash riff, pause for a guitar lick, average chugging thrash riff, pause for another guitar lick and maybe add some keyboards in as well and again the keyboards they're pretty average like um yeah i, I was never really impressed by lou panzer um, no he's no rick wakeman anyway it's like well he's, he's no jason either like <laughs> well, no he's definitely no jason but yeah i know like the keyboards were his thing but he's not exactly a virtuoso um he just kind of adds adds some nice synth textures here and there but it's not like any anything beyond what a lot of death metal bands were doing at this time anyway like um 
so yeah trying to separate that i do still appreciate there is the raw creativity there's the, the sort of the world building going on and just yeah some really good moments of this album but the, the lack of focus and the fact that you can kind of tell that it's spanned pulling in different directions it really does bleed through so yeah i'd, I'd agree with a b or a c on this also, I, I just want to put it out there, Shelly, if you didn't know that Mike Davis, the lead, like the main lead guitarist of Nocturnus, him and Trey Asgoth were friends and actually played together, just jamming on on their own. And uh, there was still like a Trey connection even in Nocturnus. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they were all Mike part Davis. of the same set, weren't they, like down in Florida? Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Damien Heftel, the, the the lead guitarist of Nocturnus AD. Well, one of them, because Belial is also a lead guitarist. But um, he had also played with Mike Davis. Um, so, yeah, so it may not be Mike Davis playing in Nocturnus AD, but you have a guy who had played with Mike Davis. Um, so it makes it a little bit more authentic, in my opinion. So next up is the Napalm Death, Utopia Banished. Um so I was kind of on the roast about including this album because you know, obviously Napalm Death started out as a grindcore band. But I view this is a quite death metal album, and it's one that I tend to listen to from here and there. Um, more often than a lot of albums on here, personally. Uh, um, I do like Napalm Death. I may not agree with their politics, but I do like their music, and I don't hold it against them, <laughs> um, which is one of the great things about music being a unifier. Um, yeah, I would put it between an A and a B. I think that uh, that's high. You don't like it, Shelly. I do like it, but I wouldn't have put it as between an A and a B. Well, no, carry, carry on. Don't let me. Don't let me stop you. Sorry. Okay, I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll be nice. I'll put it in a B, a strong B. You don't have. You, Hey, look! Like last week, when you roasted when you roasted all of my albums of the year, you had complete conviction in your opinions. Now, every time I disagree, you're like, "Oh no, I'll change my ranking." Well, where's, where's, I listen to other Napalm Death albums more. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. That's the logic. Is I, I say I think Fear, Emptiness, Despair is better than uh, Utopia Banished, but that's a personal opinion of mine. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, there's some good tracks on here. Um, I would definitely rate it as a B. Um, I like it a lot, and I think it is more death metally than grindcore, so that's why it's in the tier list. Go ahead, Shelly. Uh, yeah, well, I I agree with Napalm Death's politics, and I don't really like much of their music, so we're yeah. kind of the opposite there. Um, no, this this album is actually my favorite of like the early death metal era of Napalm Death. So you have like you have you know what British grindcore bands tended to do back in the early 90s late 80s was they graduated into death metal and uh napalm death they went out to tampa to record at morris sound and uh made harmony corruption which is one of the most boring ass albums i've ever heard in my life um and all of the talented members of napalm death had moved on by the time utopia banish was released you had you list like the bands that the members of napalm death went on to form and it is like a a collection of some of the most stunning extreme metal that England, at least, has produced. You know, you've got uh, Cathedral, you've got Scorn, you've got Painkiller, you've got Godflesh. Um, but Napalm Death themselves were basically an entirely new lineup by this point. They had Shane Embury but, uh, and the dude from Terrorizer, but kind of a collection of boring musicians that, again, were getting by on sheer charisma. 
But I like I like Utopia Banished because um it retains the industrial the cold industrial aesthetic that kind of really worked for a lot of the British bands. Um and it also does combine the really linear kind of grindcore from their early days with more of the kind of um what's the word there is like a, a melodic edge to this that kind of sets it apart from harmony corruption some of the riffs sort of stand out a little bit more but the songs are able to to gather around these centerpieces um and i think barney's vocals are just that little bit more eccentric and they kind of command the rhythmic uh emphasis of some of these tracks in a far more engaging way than uh, our harmony corruption so although harmony corruption is for some reason considered the classic because it's the first napalm death death metal album uh you're wrong. Utopia Banished is far more interesting, even if um like texturally it's a little bit more homogenous. But yeah, I I'd rank rank it a strong a strong B. Um a rare B amongst their discography. I think after this it was kind of uh oh, well, I, w- I would like rank Fear of but... Despair as an A. Uh no, that album's pretty good. But shortly after this, I believe they went into kind of groove metal territory and then settled on the sort of whatever mashup hardcore grind death metal thing they're doing now. But uh yeah strong 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 b okie doke uh next up is bolt thrower the fourth crusade uh that warhammer stuff i think there's only been one real crusade so one day there might be a second one where you know the christian people invade the the islam land um but yeah i i do like both were a fucking shit ton um and i think this album is quite good uh and I actually, uh, a few years ago, I was down at Hogwild Records in San Antonio and I bought like the best of Bolt Thrower and I just played that on my car fucking CD player for like a month. And I, I like, I've liked Bolt Thrower ever since I was a kid. And uh, I know it doesn't really communicate much. It's just kind of, you know, they, obviously they started out more like a grindcore band and turned into death metal, not unlike Napalm Death. Um, but they, they had more sensibilities when it came to Riffcraft. Um, yeah, I would put it because I do like both were a lot and there are some good tracks on here. I would put it between A and a B, Shelly. So, and I do think it is more death metal than grindcore. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just, just to clarify, there were many, many crusades. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah. Um, the fourth one was perhaps the most brutal, hence the um the album and the lyrics to the title track. Oh, I didn't know. Um, I, I guess I need to brush up on history a little bit more. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting subject, but it's not one that we, well, not one that we study at school, but uh, it kind of just crops up in popular the popular psyche. But well, we talked about like the Knights Templars and all that. Wasn't that the first crusade? Yeah, so they they were like. Uh, I mean, I'm going to sort of talk like I'm a history buff, but they they were uh, an institution of like yeah, religious monk monks turned knights basically that were responsible for organizing the crusades. But a lot of them were just uh, peasants and farmers that were kind of recruited into this army and then just shipped off to the Middle East, where basically you know bear in mind these are people that have never left their fucking village, let alone their country, um, to you know fight in this holy war. Um, and the, I think the first one was uh, where Richard the Lionheart kind of gained his reputation but yeah there were there were many beyond that where yeah it was a combination of the church and the monarchy um and various kind of wealthy knights kind of funding these um exploits part part pilgrimage part military kind of invasion uh with varying degrees of success because bear in mind again these were sort of 
very parochial northern europeans used to quite cold damp climates going to the holy land where it's very dry and hot and um having to travel very very far over land and sea and yeah meeting what was actually quite a sophisticated and very well organized uh, civilization um so yeah it's a fascinating tale over quite a few uh, centuries uh, so it's worth reading up on anyway the fourth crusade by bolt thrower um is one of these archetypical transitional albums we didn't discuss Warmaster on our 91 episode and it's not because i don't think they're important it's just for reasons of brevity we had to cut it to just 20 albums and Warmaster didn't make the cut uh this one is like where they transitioned from the early like slayer-esque hardcore punk mixed with death metal into the more mid-paced chugging entity that they kind of became known for on for victory and what a lot of bands took influence from and here you see them trying to work that out um there are parts of this album i absolutely adore there are parts of this album where i think it is a little bit uh just uh meandering and directionless and they don't seem to know where to go with what they're doing except for playing the same kind of repetitive uh mid-paced chugging riffs over and over again um, but when it's good, it is really, really good. So I think I would probably place it as a B. Uh, no, between an A and a B, because I do, I do really love Bolt Thrower. They're one of they're one of my favorite bands. Um, sorry, right. where did you place it, Jason? Between an A and a B. Okay, so we're in agreement there. All right. So the next up is Cadaver in Pains, and I'm going to act as the vessel for Tyler today. Um, I know he's unable to make today's episode, but I know Tyler would rank this as a strong A. I personally have not listened to it in about 10 years. Um, but when I did listen to it, I did enjoy it quite a bit. The riffs do have a lot of logic. And I, I know where Tyler comes from with the quote-unquote narrative structure, you know, songs that progress in a meaningful way. Um, and Cadaver does have it. So I'm going to be the vessel for Tyler and rank it as an A. Go ahead, Shelley. So I hadn't listened to it for many, many years until... Um we decided to do this episode where I did give it another spin. Um, it's the best Pestilence album that Pestilence never made. It feels like what uh, Spheres could have or should have been um, in that it it is progressive and technical, but it doesn't beat you over the head with that um, side of it. It's very disjointed um it's very non-linear in the way it constructs um the narrative as we keep discussing and that, that's just really the way that the riffs um <clears throat> communicate with each other um and build on each other to the point where they are telling a compelling story through the construction of riffs as opposed to just saying we've got this bit that's the verse this bit that's the chorus and this bit that's the bridge which is how most pop songs are written the narrative is very much allowing the language of the riffs to tell tell the story and this album does that to um the nth degree um i think yeah i think i definitely rank it as an a um as well just because yeah it is it achieves what progressive death metal did later or actually was doing already by 1992 but just without the um the obnoxiousness i guess you'd say cool 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 uh you can move it further left than that um i can yep 
Yep. Make it all nice and phallic. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, Tyler, you're welcome. I, I acted as your vessel today. Um, so next up, we do have that massacre from France. A funny story is that uh, I've been trying to get JP from Blight Mass on here to be a part of these death metal tier lists, and he's from France. Um, and Massacre is like one of the ultimate like French death metal bands from France. And you know, I, I did listen to Massacre quite a bit because he had been recommending them to me. And uh, my quibbles with Massacre is really that there is a very strong thrash influence. It may not come around in this album because it's more death metal riffage, but the song constructions are more like a thrash atmosphere derived from the uh, the late 80s. And I, I view because, you know, it does come from like a template essentially from how thrash songs are constructed, even though it is a death metal album, that does kind of falter because of it. Um, and as such, I would rank it as uh, between a B and a C. I think the material is strong. It's just the the approach is wrong, in my opinion. So between a B and a C. So I really love final holocaust and enjoy the violence i do agree the the fresh the fresh is strong with this one um similar to kind of sinister in that it's it's not just oh there's still a bit fresh there and that's that's like a vulgar uh like holdover from a from a obsolete era it's more just they've developed the style of fresh at that time into something um slightly more mature and slightly more compelling and they do kind of sit at that point where death metal was still discovering itself a little bit like how i kind of view master in a lot of ways um i know paul speckman was going for we'll talk about we'll talk about master on the next one yeah but i know he was going from like the early 80s and kind of started out in that and evolved death metal that evolved fresh to death metal and massacre kind of sit as a similar kind of stylistically i placed them in a similar box um but I'm less familiar with this album, so I might only have to give half a vote. Um, and my instinct tells me that it's probably not as good as uh, Final Holocaust, Enjoy the Violence, because those two albums were sort of um, not flukes of nature, but they were very much uh, kind of came out of nowhere as far as like taking the absolute extremity of death metal at the time, but speaking in the language of Frash and kind of making Frash up its game into a level of complexity that it wasn't able to meet because unfortunately it was sort of dominated by the uh the voices of the big four that kind of uh kept on dumbing it down into sort of pop music by by the early 90s anyway uh so yeah i'm gonna agree with your ranking which was was it a b and a c i believe yeah yeah between a b and a c i mean they deserve respect as well because a death metal band from france uh ever heard of such a thing yeah, they're more known for black metal nowadays. Um, you know, the yeah. two, two different schools of black metal. You have the mutilation school, um, and then you have El Anteus, and then you have like the Disso Death shit, like Dustful Omega. I, I think they're from France or something like that. I think, they are, yeah. yeah. It sounds French to me, but uh, it's something about French classical music too. I'm unsure if you heard this, Shelley. Is that it? Either has too few notes or too many. <laughs> sure, yeah, that so. kind of comes through in some of their metal. I'm not, not not massacre. You know, massacre is definitely influenced by uh, the California, you know, thrash scene and the you know Floridian death metal scene and all that. 
and that seeps through in their their expression. But uh, next up is cyanide. Uh, I have a love hate relationship with cyanide, and I, I view when we talk about like Chicago extreme metal, like what was really formative. I mean, Chicago had, you know, of course, cyanide. They had master. And then they had a uh, macabre. Um, I would actually place cyanide above macabre because macabre is more like a comedy band, just singing about serial killers. It never really like mesh well with me. Um, um, but cyanide, I, I, I think it's quite bland. Um, I've never been able to get into this band, but I do know they're competent, and I would rate them as a strong C. Go ahead, Shelley. Yeah, I really want to like cyanide. Um, there's there's a similar kind of intent to say what Sphix were doing, in that they are trying to make very ultra primitive, uh, very glum death metal. They're trying to coat death metal in a sense of like drab, downbeat, uh, depressive <clears throat> kind of gloom, uh, but. Whereas Fix supplement that with energy and a very strong melodic offering, Cyanide really lack that. I think they lean too heavily on the sort of holdovers of uh, Hellhammer, Celtic Frost, and they don't really develop their own voice beyond that. Well, something um, I experienced in Chicago, because I did uh, live in a suburb there for a while, because my girlfriend was there, and... Uh, at the time, but uh, I noticed that they have a very different like take on extreme metal, like how they present themselves in Chicago. There, it's very gentrified. Um, where in Texas, you know, I had one guy, Hell Preacher Johnny, on here when we talked about Texas metal, and there was seven different fights that broke out at the same show, <laughs> and in Chicago, like I was the feral one, and I'm. Like in Texas, I'm the civilized one, and it's strange. Like, like uh, one show I was up there, I played a, a band called Imperious, and I had learned all their songs on keyboards and uh, like a week, and I played a show with them, and uh, I got kicked out because of a uh, not a performance. Performance was fine, but because we played a like a microbrewery, and. Uh, and they had like a stage and stuff. It was a really nice place, actually. It was very, uh, but uh, everyone was like super civilized, and it was like polite society. And uh, there was a band that came on stage called Weathering Soul, and the guy was wearing a fucking cowboy hat while having a coarse paint on. He looked fucking ridiculous, and me being inebriated, you know, off the micro beers or whatever the craft beers. I had a. I ran up on stage and I stole his cowboy hat because I was from Texas and I should be wearing it. And <laughs> he just looked like a goober up there on stage. And you know, it's back when I was more wild. You know, now that I'm older, I think my testosterone levels are dropping. I'm not as feral as I used to be. But uh, and I, I do apologize to Withering Soul because I did that. But uh, um, that just shocked everyone. I got kicked out of Imperius because of that. And like in Texas, that's a common thing. Like people just beat up each other. They make shenanigans out of you know things that they think is clownish. Which Withering Soul did appear to be very clownish to me. And uh, 
And I, I kind of see where Sinai, you know, growing up in that atmosphere as musicians is very civilized and doesn't want to, you know, reach into the beyond, you know, go to extreme. Um, They've got the, the the Milwaukee Metal Fest thing. That's not far from Chicago, though, is it? It is not, no. Um, not too far, but I think it's in Wisconsin and Wisconsin. The, there's still some of that civilized aspect in Wisconsin, uh, and but uh, they tend to be more alcoholics up there. So, because <laughs> um, I know that the Scale It Back guys from up there, and we interviewed him quite a while ago now. But yeah, um, but yeah, uh, what I think Master has been the best thing that you know the Chicago and Illinois has produced. Um, Cyanide, I, I just think is very fucking generic. So strong C. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So to the, to the point on the the live show thing, obviously, like not advocating violence, but uh, if someone steals your cowboy hat, that just speaks to the spontaneity of the live show. That's the whole point. Anything can happen. The crowd will interact, and sometimes they might say or do things that are unexpected. And uh, being upset by that is well, you might as well stay at home. But anyway, uh, cyanide. Um, yeah, let's stick this as a C. I'm not going to rank it any higher than that. So. Yeah, I think a C is fair, and this is usually the album that uh, people say is like the best cyanide. But then again, I think it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fucking Chicago sucks for metal. <laughs> Honestly, we have Master at least um, to say that they're the champions. But I think Paul Speckman is living in the Czech Republic now, and uh, yeah, we did t- chat with him quite a bit. Um, uh, next up is Hypocrisy, Penitalia. I I um not a fan of hypocrisy um <laughs> when i was younger i did like them though but i liked their later albums because i was dumb and stupid and i didn't have discernment <laughs> and uh you know i like the texture of hypocrisy you no know, really nice death metal texture um but they had completely streamlined their expression into a more poppy form this has uh more of like a not like massacre with their template of thrash but you can definitely tell like there's some thrashy riffs here and there but hypocrisy is always you know as you know in my 30s uh a c band um and this is perhaps their best album um when judging it so yeah strong c for me i i wish hypocrisy like was better but i understand that peter tochran He's like a big heroin addict, and uh, there's he might be off it by now. I know he's been playing with Lindemann, and Lindemann wouldn't, you know, allow heroin, you know, hindering the uh, the success of the project, you know, being professional and all that. But I know at one point in time, Peter Tucker was like really, really into heroin. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is the most authentic death metal release from Hypocrisy. And a strong C for me. Uh, I don't think it's D territory. There's a lot of competence at you know in the album, but it, it just it's not what I'm into. I'm sorry, Shelly. So where would you put it? No, I, I think I'd agree. Uh, looking at where what we got in D at the moment, I wouldn't put hypocrisy there, but I would definitely say uh, this album goes from moments of pretty quality, uh, like riffing, uh, sort of strong sense of melody. Two moments are just seeming really unfocused. Like it's like they've 
by this point they've listened to a lot of death metal and they're trying to cobble together their own um their own version of it and just not not really being able to get it over the line because they're not thinking about what they actually want to bring to the table themselves that might be slightly different or honing a particular style really really well they're trying to do something quite broad and sort of being a jack of all trades master of none um with this album but definitely not d territory so yeah i'm gonna agree and, and stick it in the c all right so next up is nuclear death um a band that really isn't mentioned that much in the the metal conversation uh uh they had Lori bravo um a female vocalist we talk about like a you know Durketta being a really great you know like all-female death metal band um Nuclear Death at Lori Bravo. Um, what she became as she became older is kind of shameful, but we won't get into that. Um, just really, yeah, not into anything uh, after this album. Uh, but I, I think Nuclear Death, they had like a completely different take on death metal. Um, of course, there's strong thrash influence. You know, we're talking about 1992 death metal still. Um, you can definitely tell there's still a thrash influence, and you know, Lori Bravo, like great performance on this album. I I think they're really going for like a more artsy, abstract, modernist take on uh, extreme metal, and to a certain degrees, I I think they did succeed. However, I never want to listen to it. So, being that it's competent and it did try for something, I'm going to put it between a B and a C, above average. Uh, and I, I would not want to join any conversation about Lor what Lori Bravo has done since Nuclear Death. Um, it's just not into that. So go ahead, Shelley. Uh, uh, I fucking love Nuclear Death, but uh, I've always compartmentalized them as a grindcore band in my mind. Although I know they're one of these bands that's like hard to place because, yeah, there is a strong thrash element there. There is the grindcore there's obvious death metal riffs as well but they were far too sloppy and freeform to be called death metal in my eyes like when you look at the formality of some of these albums where it's very uh intentional the way the riffs are structured and the way everything is put together and um the uh tempo changes the way a drum fill will anticipate a particular shift in um, in the sort of the structure of the riffs and so on. Whereas Nuclear Death are much more like just not noise, because there is still uh, like elements of, I guess you could call it melody, but there, there is elements of music going on within Nuclear Death, but they're much less formal than what I consider death metal to be, especially with this album where they'd kind of dispensed with thrash altogether. And as you say, gone in a much more like modernist avant-garde direction where they're trying to combine elements of noise rock with um death metal and with the what i guess you could call horror grind um they go for that very surrealist um kind of aesthetic that's not like uh the the sort of gore grind that was an aftershock from carcass or you know what mortician would later become it's much more weird and unsettling than that a little bit i'd kind of compare it to blood in a lot of ways in terms of spirit if not sound um but i'd say blood are much closer to death metal sonically than nuclear death but 
yeah, for me, I, I, I adore this band, but it does feel a bit wrong kind of ranking them on this scale. But for me, I, I would place this album as like um, a strong A. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, and you put it between a B and a C. Yeah. So that puts it basically a as B, a B, C. I think, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, but yeah. Oh, well, I mean... I understand yeah. like you know, they came from Arizona and Arizona at the point in time was not known for any death metal or extreme metal really. Um so they did kind of have that niche as being the only quality band from that area. Um but yeah, it, it's also thing that I revisit and when we talk about Lori Bravo, it's kind of like I wish it was better in the abstract than in reality. Um, so next up is uh, Sorrow. Um, this is the album that uh, uh, Brett Claren did early on. He was on a Roadrunner or Relapse or one of those record labels. Got pretty big. And we had uh, him on the podcast to discuss his black metal band. Um, that's why I included this because you know, Brett Claren is uh, a physics guy. He has a master's degree in physics. Really smart individual and uh, kind of interesting take, um, very friendly and approachable. Um, I, when it comes to Sorrow, I, of course, discovered them later after we had uh, interviewed Brett. Um, I think it was competent stuff. I think there was a lot of doomy aspects that um, perhaps like held back, like how uh, extreme it could be. Um, but yeah, I, I would put it in average territory, Shelley. Um, I, I do like Brett Claren, and I do hope him success. Um, I just feel like at this point in time, there was just so much quality death metal and extreme metal being released that um, perhaps they didn't place, you know, perhaps they weren't part of that zeitgeist to really, you know, bring something special out. So, but it's very competent. Um, strong C from Jason. Go ahead, Shelly. So, yeah, this is, I think it's the only album on this list that I haven't listened to, so I'm going to have to withdraw my vote. But, uh, yeah, so Journey to Darkness, I mean, they're, they're a sort of project from a different era in that they're a, new, a newer project of Brett's, and they are, you know, very, 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 very interesting and unique take on symphonic black metal. But, um, yeah, I can't comment on this one, so a C it shall remain. Yeah, I, I don't think it's bad at all. Um, but when I when I had listened to it, I didn't derive anything like special. And I'm sorry, Brett, if you're listening, but yeah, I think Journey into Darkness has more potential. Um, so next up is a uh, Morpheus Descends. Um I believe this band, like I know we have Dim My Guide coming up soon, and I like in the abstract, I kind of mix the two up quite often, like I did do with a uh, monstrosity and malevolent creation. Uh, Morpheus Descends, uh, New York death metal that def definitely comes out in their sound. Um, but there are these moments that it just does nothing for me. Um, but I know it's really competent death metal. And I actually know a guy who was in the, the project, Tom Stevens. Um, he was also in the band Nocturnal. Um, but he had played in uh, Ripping Corpse and Morpheus Descends, and uh, I would say it's a strong B. I know some people would rank it as a S tier, 
Um, but I, I feel like some of the riffs are quite generic in it. And uh, when we talk about the narrative structure, I feel like there's some momentum lost in that aspect. Um, there's not enough there to keep my attention. So, um, but it's more competent than most. So a strong B, if that makes sense, Shelley. No, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, let, let's be right about this. Like, this is a quality album, and I'm not going to play it down or anything. But I think one of the reasons this album is so hyped is because people want suffocation, but more. Because uh, kind of, obviously, suffocation kind of went off a cliff after Pierce from Within. But then people are like, well, you should listen to Morpheus Descends because they're, they're from the same scene and they do a very similar style. And that that is true. And this is a really good album. Um, but let's not overplay its place in history because we're just craving that moment when suffocation were really good in the early 90s. They do lend a romanticist gothic flair to that style, which is very, you know, uh, influenced by New York hardcore. It's very rhythm focused, very well. I know we keep saying this, but there's a holdover from Thrash as well. It's very atonal, very chromatic, but they do work in moments of um, high drama, I guess we could say. But uh, yeah, you're right. There are passages in this album where I do just switch off um, and where we're looking at some of these albums in the A tier, like every single moment um, will have me transfixed. Whereas this album, uh, yeah, it just kind of loses my attention for for significant portions. But that being said, um, still belongs in sort of the annals of like quality early 90s death metal so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and agree with a b ranking for this okie dokie so strong b for the morpheus descends um i know they're on the internet canon they're like s tier i don't know why but um because people want the obscure creds they think oh i've discovered this really obscure band and did you know they're awesome and uh, you probably haven't heard of them? But it's like, guys, everyone's heard of Morpheus Descends by this point. The internet's a thing. We can all discover the obscure bands. Uh, they're not that obscure and they're not that good. They are good, but they're not that good. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, some of the other albums on here. And yeah, uh, B is a good placement for them. Um, so we have next up of Vital Remains, Let Us Pray. This is arguably their most true album. Of course, Vital Remains were always kind of in the underground and, and in the conversation, kind of in the background, um, until uh, they came out with the album Decristianized, which had like high-flowing melodicism and, you know, really uh, pushed them into the mainstream consciousness and metal scene. Um, but before then, they had, you know, perhaps their strongest death metal album, uh, Let Us Pray. And with this album, they it's just it kind of feels like they're the bits and pieces of other bands, but it's very competent. Um, I put it between a B and a C. Um, Shelley, perhaps you haven't listened to it, but I think that's a good rating for it. Well, yeah, like I said, I'm gonna go with your ranking. I might have listened to this many, many years ago, but uh, yeah, my intimacy with this album is not such that I can really rank it, um, in good faith. But I will say. Can we just accept this is the best best album oh, yeah. cover album the album <laughs> selection we have? <laughs> Covers amazing. Uh, just, That's just totally from the period too of death metal. Yeah, it's like the, what they're trying to encapsulate. Um, yeah, but let us pray. Not a bad album. Um, granted, I haven't listened to it in quite a while, but I had listened to it in the past quite a bit. 
And, you know, especially when I had the antidote about hanging out with one of the guys from Vital Remains drinking cranberry vodka. Um, yeah, uh, I actually like it more than Dechristianized. Um, Dechristianized is just like, uh, I don't think it was really death metal. Like some of those tracks, like when it's just melodicism, high-flying solos and all that, it's more like power metal-y to me. Um, whereas this is, you know, straight up death metal. Um, but next up is the Demigod Slumber of Soul and Eyes. Um, much like the Morpheus Descends, like that, you know, I, I, I view that some of the riffs are fucking phenomenal and it's like captures my attention and other points. Uh, there are moments that are really fucking boring to me. So, oh, Jason, don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> No, I was going to say it's a B. Um, oh, it hurts. <laughs> no, there are some boring passages on this album that always makes me want to turn it off. Uh, just because Tyler's not here as well, I have to be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Shelly. We have to disagree somewhere. Come on. <laughs> it can all be. Yeah, I'm actually surprised just... how much we agree on 1992 death metal, but that's 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 criminal. <laughs> No, there are some like passages that really just bore the hell out of me. But um, I know it's very competent death metal. It's above average. I wouldn't put it S tier though. No, we're near S tier. And I think a B is where me personally I would put it. So I'm sorry, Shelley. No, it's fine. I wouldn't put it S tier either. I'd probably put it between A and S because uh, Demolik exists. Uh, not on this list, obviously, because they were 93. But Demigod's Slumber of Solon Eyes is like finished death metal par excellence in that it um it encapsulates the chugging mid-paced bolt thrower-esque thing that a lot of the Finnish bands were doing but it combines that with the oddball very very eerie very eldritch approach to riffing it's very uh uncanny and unsettling but again it manages this sense of eerie atmosphere without excessive use of keyboards um, it does it all through riffs. Um, the guitar tone is such that it elevates that, but actually it's really the the strange left-field approach to melody that really communicates this sense of the uncanny and just the familiar made that little bit uh, off-kilter and that little bit strange. Um, but that kind of rather almost fragile kind of aspect of this album is collided against just the sheer brutality of some of it and this this does this album does kind of pack a punch when it wants to um yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't rank it an s as i mentioned just because i think there are there are weirder more profound expressions of uh finished death metal uh but definitely between an s and an a for me uh where did you put it jason a b yes a b that makes it an a that makes it an a okay well at least i've salvaged salvaged it a little bit there yep Okay, fair enough. So, Shelly, what do you honestly think about Last One on Earth by Asphyx? Um, <laughs> Why'd you ask? Because I like the rack so much more. Um, and I, I only, you know, casually listened to this album. And I wasn't... I understand it's very competent. I'll put place it as a B. Um, do, you, do you think it's as good as the rack, Shelly? Hmm... 
I was about to say I'd place this as an A, but I realized I placed the rack as an A. So maybe I'd place this between a B and an A because, no, I don't think it's as good as the rack. Um, I think the rack is a really strong album as a whole. Um, it works really, really well taken together and also has an incredibly strong closing track. Um, Last One on Earth doesn't work as well as an album, but it does have maybe one half of an album that is really, really strong. So um, The Crusher, uh, the title track, um, Streams of Ancient Wisdom, a few others where it's really strong, like Asphyx just pounding it out, like doing what Asphyx does really, really well in that they do very simplistic, very brutal uh, death metal, or they do really, really... Well, or they do really kind of quite epic cinematic kind of dirges of doom where they do layer up very simple but very very effective uh sense of melody but then it has tracks like food for the ignorant which just comes across as a little bit infantile um at this point where it is just sort of a bargain basement death thrash number and it feels a little bit like filler i feel like this album might have worked better as an ep actually like a strong or a five track ep but a really really strong one so that that's why it's going in the a territory because when the sphix are good they are really really good um, but there's just a few tracks on here that are a little bit forgettable. But that's why I'd place it above, say, the Morpheus Descends, because when Asphyx is strong, it sticks in my mind, whereas Morpheus Descends are strong, it's good, but it doesn't it doesn't sort of uh, burrow into my psyche quite as much. All right, so it puts it in A territory since I gave it a B. Now I feel bad because it's right next to Demigod, and I think Demigod's way better, but <laughs> that's the... Uh, the law, the anarchy of the tier list. So, yep. Let's just more about the conversation. Yeah. There we go. So next up is uh, atrocity. Yeah. <laughs> um. I I I do have a dissenting opinion on the at the gates that you just oh, not again, not again. Here we go. Yeah. Um. Why not just create classical music if you want to be high-minded and lofty? <laughs> there, there. This is the album like that was touted around as the ultimate death metal album, and I have tried on numerous occasions to get into the the red and the sky is ours. I think it's competent. I think there's a lot of creativity that's been put into it, but there's nothing that really captures my attention overall with it. And I know it's complete blasphemy. And I know that I listen to classical music and I, and I should have more sophisticated taste in music. Um, but yeah, I would rank it as a B, Shelly. A B? Yeah. Oh. I don't like it. Um, I mean, I like aspects. I know it's competent. I think it's above average. It's definitely unique. But it's not something I ever want to listen to. That's why I wanted Tyler on this <laughs> when we got into the second row because I knew he would defend it too. <laughs> um, and it wouldn't be so much of a shock, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah, I, I can't rank it higher than a B, surely. I'm sorry, that, that, that's fine. So, okay, I'll just talk around the album a bit because I'm assuming any anyone listening kind of they don't need me to explain this album to them or why it's why it's so well, what, special. What happened after the gates after this album? I mean, well, we, we have the Gardens of Grief EP, which is good. I think Gardens of Grief is better 
Then I think Gardens of Grief was actually before this, but I, I think that one's better than this one. Um, at least it's more concise. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, they, is... they did um, with Fear I Kiss the Burning Darkness, which is kind of a divisive album because some people see it as like a trial run at the shitty Melodeath direction they took, but I kind of see it as uh, a, an interesting kind of again one of these oddities of death metal where um, it is explicitly melodic death metal but it is melodic death metal uh, what what it should have been in that it is really kind of tangential meandering, very unpredictable and very uh, interesting and unique in the way that it employs melodic language um, alongside the atonality and chromaticism of death metal and it does build on the foundation of the Red and Sky Zars whereas melodic death metal became essentially, you know, Iron Maiden with with some uh, like, you know, blast beats or whatever, you know, the, the, the carcass, heartwork, the slaughter of the soul the inflames his entire career arch enemy and so on, that's what melodic death metal became, but when you have the Red and the Sky Zars and I wouldn't say we've heard the kiss but we fear I kiss at the gates, man, you needed to shorten your album titles. With Fear I Kiss the Burning Darkness, I wouldn't rank it quite as high as this one, but I'd still say it, it deserves respect for, again, trying to push the boundaries of melodicism within death metal. Um, and this album in particular, uh, again, it's you think about what's going on at this time. In Sweden, in two... It's, it's, it's melodic, progressive death metal. Well, yeah, but when you think about what At The Gates were compared to at the time, they were, they were working against Entombed, who were probably one of the biggest bands around from their, their country at the time. But we also have, you know, the likes of Bolt Thrower. We have Def getting big and Cynic getting big for doing the, the jazzy, like, funky death metal. But then you have At The Gates saying, no, we're not going to make some skull-bludgeoningly heavy album, and we're not going to make some jazzy, spacey, progressive death metal album. We are just going to explore the potential of melody and i know you're going to come back and say i'd rather listen to classical music but classical music isn't the only medium through which you can explore this and i think at the gates again given this was their debut album they were very very young uh they were trying to craft a niche within death metal and they basically ended up creating their own vocabulary one that could be expressed through guitars, but also, as we see on this album, through violins as well, through very, very unique approach and fluid approach to rhythm. But it's one, as we discussed previously, it's not uh, uppercase P progressive. It is progressive and it is technical, but it's not explicitly so in the way that Atheist or, or Cynic were. It's very much just let's push the boundaries of melody to the to absolute breaking point. Um and it comes it they come up with this 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 statement of just utterly unique dark romanticism that just as with the other albums in the s tier every time i listen to this i discover something new to love about it i discover a new angle a new layer that at the gates brought to the table and yes it was probably an absolute fluke because with fear i kiss the burning darkness is slightly more direct and slightly more uh transparent in the way that it manipulates melody although i still think it's quality but yeah this album is just it has that underlayer of magic that can't quite be quantified. Uh, but I understand with all the words in the world, I'm not going to talk you around. If you have a slightly more tepid reaction to it, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. Well, I just feel like uh, all the elements that created Slaughter of the Soul is also in this album. 
by having a surface level will take on melodicism and creating a what what was slaughter of soul? Is that death core? Is that metal core? Like it's got like mellow death, mellow, mellow death. death metal. It's it's antithetical to death metal. And I think all the the component pieces for that to be created is in this era of at the gates. I don't understand why this band is so big. Um well in a sense you're right, because Slaughter of the Soul, it borrows the same melodic language, but what it does is it in it hacks it up so that it can be placed into easily digestible chunks of of basically pop rock songs but with the melodic language of the red in the sky is ours whereas the red in the sky is ours it uses the same vocabulary uh but it creates a much more meandering complex labyrinthine story with it the reason slaughter of the soul doesn't work and the reason an album like heartwork doesn't work is because it takes these chunks of sophisticated metal that we like and it segments them into bite-sized pieces so that you, you know, if you have a short attention span, you can think, well, it doesn't matter. The showstopper chorus is coming up or the Iron Maiden-esque guitar solo is coming up or whatever. Uh, so you're right in a sense, but I disagree that that makes this album bad, I think. So my, I I think we need to discuss uh, just how I approach melodicism as a person who has been playing piano forever I create melodic melodies easy breezy just by putting my fingers on the keys and just playing a, a major chord or whatever. And I, I I don't derive any enjoyment from melodies that are crafted from such an easy approach. I like stuff that is very idiosyncratic. I like stuff that threatens our notions of music theory. Um, At the Gates, I view as very entrenched in music theory and on a sheer melodic aspect, it does not resonate with me because it just seems like the easiest path. Um, because in melodicism, if you know a thing or two about music theory, it's very easy to create. And I, I just, that's why it doesn't resonate with me, Charlotte. There's a sense of you can work within the theory and the conventions and still slip something weird and uh off kilter under the radar this is this is why i respect bands today that are not trying to do anything too dissonant too out there in terms of noise or uh, what we'd call avant-garde metal now i guess or experimental metal although those terms are quite vague this is why i respect bands that work purely within metal melody because it almost looks like um experimentalism because you're limiting yourself to just expressing everything through very very traditional means where you'd think everything that could possibly have been expressed has already been done so but then if you come up with something where it's like actually no this this is really weird and really novel that to me is far more revolutionary and that's why this album works so well uh because they work in such sort of standard uh very very you know traditional melodic shapes but they come up with a an artifact that is utterly unique to my mind um i mean we don't have to dwell on this because i I think we are obviously we're spending quite a long time talking about this album so uh but we clearly have different opinions on it so we can i think we've unpacked yeah i I do have a very unpopular opinion on at the gates um sorry where were you rating it was it a b it was yeah and i'm not not gonna bust from it 
I'm not going to budge. Oh, no. Sorry, Tyler. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I know it's a dissenting opinion, but uh, it's just <laughs> us two today. Hey, well, it's your opinion, man. I think I have uh, an educated opinion. But <laughs> uh, Atrocity, uh, the German title name, um, Todeskraut or whatever. <laughs> the Longing for Death, I think, is what the English translation is. Uh, I fucking love this album. I think Atrocity only released one really good album, and it was this one, and I would place it as an A. Um, there's a lot of great hooks and a lot of catches, and uh, the, the fucking, the way the album flows is really good, too. Like, it kind of transitions more to, like, a thrashy thing, and he deleted something. Yeah, control C. He did the control Z. You're good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would rate it as a, a strong A. I think that if this man kept their heads on straight, that they could have been a, a great force within death metal, but they only released one good album. And what's on this album is really fucking fantastic. So a uh, strong A from Jason. Uh, now, now I'm fucked because I can't rate this an A because that puts it next to the red and the sky is ours. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, in all honesty, I think I would put it as a B. Um, this kind of death metal is right up my alley as far as being uh, kind of encapsulating all of the what we'd call the raw material of the american style in that it has the bludgeoning thrashy elements the, the the brutality the technicality the just the raw percussive energy but it works in that that dark romantic and theatrical side and also it's just not afraid to uh be a bit ridiculous and i really like the 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 melodrama of that as well um and that, that's one of the things that i love about you know northern european death metal and extreme metal in general of this era is that it's just very very unabashed in its um its freedom to express itself even if that makes yourself look a little bit uh silly at times uh but similar to the hypocrisy i think it, it lacks focus to some extent and you're right if um if these guys had stuck with death metal and, and built on this foundation, they probably could have created something really, really profound. But unfortunately, I mean, you know, it's a bad sign whenever you search for band on metal archives and the genres are listed as various in that they've touched on so many things that even the uh, user can't update <laughs> how much they've kind of dabbled in. But yeah, for me, this would be a B, but if they'd released a follow-up and it had been slightly more focused, uh, could have been into a territory for me. I, I can understand how you can see it as unfocused. Um, yeah, but the the songs are fucking good. <laughs> um, they are, no, they are. But like I said, um, B B is is a strong ranking on on this list. Like it's not a damning indictment. It's uh, you know B is a strong album that I will listen to fairly frequently. So, all right. So next up is the autopsy. After they blew their load and. Came into the formula of autopsy, it would be a strong uh, between a B and a C from Jason. Fair, yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> we're, we're, Mental Funeral, nearly a perfect death metal album. Here we just sort of, yeah, we have autopsy doing their thing. Fine. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's move on. Uh, is that Torture next? Torture, yeah. yeah they have a German this. band. Gonna get into this band. Um, I understand, like they they might be internet canon or whatnot, but 
just nothing for me. I think it's very competent death metal, and it just expresses nothing like unique to me. So strong C. Oh, okay. I would have ranked this as a B. Uh, they are internet canon in the same way that maybe Morpheus descends are internet canon, but I think these guys have more right to be in that. Uh, again, they combine elements of atmospheric death metal with the more bludgeoning violent aspects of death metal in a very very convincing way it's a little bit underdeveloped in places as as is the case with seems to be with a lot of german death metal in that it feels like these guys if they'd gone on for longer and, and built on this foundation they could have really come up with something quite quite profound um but here we see the germinal of what would be a very good idea a very sort of compelling approach to romanticist death metal but yeah it just it doesn't quite hit the mark but i would rank it as a, as a strong b um regardless of whatever sort of retroactive hype it's received on the internet uh well, but yeah I, you, you rank it as c did this, you say i'm looking at the c territory i think it believe I, I believe it should be there in the c territory you have the cyanide you have the hypocrisy any of the i rank it higher than the cyanide that's the thing all right, all right. <laughs> so here, Jackson. Uh, why is there a grindcore album on on here? It it has death metal flavors. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested of where you would rate rank the brittle truth because I've never liked brittle truth. <laughs> um, I would rank it as a a D. Um, a D. Yeah. That is the brutal truth. Yeah, it's very brutal. Um I perhaps it is the grindcore that's more being pronounced in it, but yeah, never really got into brutal truth. And I understand this is one of their better albums. Um but yeah, it does nothing for me. I mean I I do think it's in terms of death metal it's below average. Go ahead, Shelly. So if it was Need to Control, uh, that album is an S for me, uh, regardless of the genre, whether it's death metal or grindcore or whatever. Uh, Need, control, Need to Control is a near-perfect album of extreme metal, as far as I'm concerned. This is what our friend and colleague Raphael would call preparatory, in that they are still preparing the ground for what they would become. Uh, I guess if you were around and into this music in 1992, this might have and you were into grindcore, I should say, you might have um, been blown away by it. But I was around in the early 2000s after the fact and buying up these albums, and I listened to Need, Need to Control first, uh, which kind of ruined Extreme Conditions a little bit for me. Not to say that this is a complete stinker. I think there's really quality uh, grindcore on here. In a kind of, again, in a kind of way that I sort of feel like Brutal Truth did what Napalm Death were becoming, just way better than Napalm Death, in that they lent into the silliness of Grindcore and they made it uh, very, very extreme, very, very meat-headed, and as you would say, Jason, knuckle-headed at times, but very, very deliberately so. They kind of lent into the fact that they were making really dumb, primitive music at times. But I also appreciate the fact that they tried to be a bit more intelligent with it, but not in a very obnoxious way, just in a very sleight of hand trying to work in more complex longer 
tracks now and then, trying to be a little bit more avant-garde in places when it works without just bludgeoning you over the head with how special they are or whatever. I think they nailed that on Need to Control, but on this album, uh, there are some filler tracks, there are some forgettable riffs, there are some moments where you just kind of think, uh, well, that's not really grindcore anymore, it's more of a, an off-cut of a death metal track, but because you're writing in 1992, it sounds like very, very average death metal. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I'd probably place it between a B and a C. Uh, so you placed it as a D. So that places it's it a C. It's a C. as a C. Yeah. Well, I, to be honest, I think I'd be happy with a C. I, I'd be, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Brutal truth is, I always like Napalm Death more. <laughs> but okay, I'm, I'm the opposite. No, don't get me wrong. I like the first two Napalm Death albums, but I feel like after From Enslavement to Obliteration, you should move on to Brutal Truth extreme conditions and then need to control and i think that's a much better takes you through a much better journey of like the political activist side of grindcore you know with a side of maybe terrorizer as well um and you can kind of forget about the napalm death death metal era at that point you can just move on to brutal truth um but if you're talking about like death grind obviously you go from you know carcass through to through to blood and then maybe nuclear death and so on but that's that's a slight that's obviously a different lineage to uh, what brutal truth we're doing yeah all right so uh you happy with today's rankings other than a few blemishes in your opinion yeah aside from what you did to demigod and at the gates um i think i can live with the rest of it it'll be very interesting to uh to see what uh tyler thinks and Raphael. uh no no doubt they <laughs> I'll regret that they were unable to attend today because maybe we could have bumped up some of these albums. But uh, yeah, on the whole, I'm generally happy. All right. I'm glad you had a good time, Shelly. And if you're listening on Spotify, make sure to watch the episode on YouTube. I know you just listened to the whole episode, but at least take a, a look at the tier list to see how it evolved and what is placed where and all of that fun stuff. But uh, thank you for listening. And again, that's Shelly from HateMeditations.com and Metal Illusion Magazine. He's currently doing his uh, top 40 of 2023 on hatemeditations.com. Make sure to check that out. And thank you for listening.